Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist. I have a background in exercise science and uh, natural field education as well. And I specialize in PCOS because I have it too, so I know how horrible some of the symptoms can be. But I also know that from both my personal experience and working with thousands of women now that if we can get to the root cause of why your body is... Um, doing what it's doing while why the hormones are so out of balance then we can actually um, see a lot of improvement in those symptoms and what I mean by root cause is not that you caused it but that there are systems in your body that just aren't functioning optimally and uh, our body doesn't work in silos it all works together and so if one system like say our insulin is too high then that can cause our body to overproduce testosterone so it can be um, if we can then bring your insulin down, we can hopefully bring your testosterone down and that can improve a lot of the symptoms from you know, hair growth to um, acne to hair loss to fertility. Um, and that's just one example, right? There is other root causes and this is why we are all different and why we all require uh, potentially a different lifestyle approach to help to manage our symptoms. And this is exactly what I help women do in my program, the Peace Use Protocol. So this is a 12-week program where I work alongside you. We have weekly Zoom calls where we chat and talk about what you're, what's happening with your body and make adjustments. Um, really, it's getting to the root cause for you and then, um, and then actually implementing the most important lifestyle changes. So it's not about removing every single food group possible out of your diet and so that you have to live so strictly. It's like, actually, let's find out what's going to have the biggest impact for you and with the smallest amount of changes. So that's exactly what I do in the Pieces Protocol. And it's also what I teach you in my book coming out next week. Oh my God, it's so exciting. So the book is called Getting Pregnant with PCOS. It is one that is geared towards more the fertility aspect of PCOS, um, both for those trying to conceive at the moment, but also for those maybe like me, you've been told you're going to struggle to conceive. And that's actually not true for many women with PCOS. Um, maybe they it might take slightly longer, um, but there are ways that you can get back ovulating. Basically, if you've been told that you're going to struggle to conceive, it's probably because you are not ovulating at that time. And so, yes, I don't know, like me at 25, yes, I would have struggled to conceive that at that point. I wasn't even thinking about it, but I would have. But I was told that, whereas I wasn't told, hey, you're struggling, you're not ovulating at the moment. That means that if you tried now, you would struggle to conceive. But if we get to the root cause for you and you actually bring your, in my case, insulin and stress hormones down, your body will be able to ovulate again and therefore there um, likely will be little issue for you. There may be other things that we haven't picked up. Maybe um, the, your partner's got a sperm quality issue. Maybe you've also got endometriosis that we haven't diagnosed yet. But in terms of from a PCOS perspective, your um, fertility has been pretty much restored if you start to ovulate again in many cases, right? So that is actually what I teach you in this book is that's what, what it takes to get pregnant. So what are the, what, what I call them is the, your fertile ingredients. Baking a baby is very similar to baking a cake. You've got to have the core ingredients there. And then um, what other fertility treatments are available to you to help you along with that? So if you've tried so many things and your body really isn't ovulating, what are the best fertility treatments that are going to be available to you. So there are different fertility treatments and I see older technology still being used, which in terms of the evidence just shows it 
really shouldn't be. Um, so if you are prescribed that, you can be like, hang on, uh, evidence shows that actually this other drug is far more effective. Why can't I have that? Or why am, why are you putting on me this, me on this one? So it just means that you can have a much better educated discussion with your fertility practitioner, your fertility specialist, reproductive endocrinologist, whoever you're working with about what's going to work for you, but also that you can actually get to the root cause alongside those fertility treatments so that you are more likely to have a healthier pregnancy and a healthier baby. Because so much of the focus in fertility is just getting you pregnant, but actually we want you to stay pregnant. We want you to not have a lot of complications like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which are unfortunately more common in PCOS, but potentially can be um, avoided entirely by changing diet and lifestyle. And we will then want to make sure that that baby grows up to be the healthiest adult as possible. So this is exactly what we go through in the book. Um, and the pre-sale link is there in the show notes for you. And so if you order that, then you'll get that delivered to you next week on the 18th of November when that goes live. So I can't wait to get that in your hands. So this week on the podcast, we have the lovely Helena. So she is... Um, she lives in, in Auckland, New Zealand. She is a lawyer turned uh, teacher. So she's just gone back to study to train as a teacher. Um, but when I worked with her, she was a lawyer and working super long hours, very uh, in court a lot of the time, so quite stressful. And she had gotten married uh, and decided that they want to start a family, um, but it wasn't working for them. She had PCOS and was told that she would need to use fertility drugs to ovulate and get pregnant but when she started doing that she was like I hate these these are this is awful I don't want to continue on this drug I a it's like so invasive in my life that I have to you know you know we're trying to go through this fertility treatment and keep it quiet but yeah I'm having to like I can't just leave court to go and get a scan willy-nilly when they think a follicle might be developing um and also I hate the feeling of what this drug is doing to my body and what it feels like um but she was like no one seems to be talking about this they just say oh here take this drug and you'll be fine you'll you know we'll then deal with it but she was like it's not just like taking a pill it's completely changes your hormones, you feel crap, and then it's super invasive in terms of what it does to your um, lifestyle, right? It, it invades everything. And so she was looking for an alternative solution. That's when um, she came and worked with me in the PCS protocol. Um, but I think this is a really good thing to bring up because no one really talks about this aspect of it as being that what it actually feels like to take clomidin and that some people don't want to do that um, whether that's clomid or whether that's letrozole um, there's are two most common fertility drugs used and um, I think that it is good for you to understand here other people saying actually no I don't want to do that I don't want to take this this is not what I want in my body and for many people it works and it's super brilliant and I include this in my book the, the fertility drugs in my book is um, really great treatment options I do also provide the kind of the pros and cons behind them what works better what doesn't and um, some of the dangers of them as well so you can know and make an informed choice but I think from a per hearing from a personal perspective that it you don't have to make that choice it doesn't have to be the only thing for you and there are other things out there that can help you ovulate again so that's exactly what we're talking to, just in terms of Helena's full story. But that's kind of one 
kind of snippet I pulled out for you because I think that it's really important to hear other women talking about them saying, no, this isn't the right thing for me. This is not the way that I want to approach it. And that's totally fine if you also make that choice. So let's get in and talk to Helena. Well, welcome, Helena. So thank you so much for coming and speaking to me today. So good to talk to you. Thank you for having me, Claire. Now, uh, what I do, what I get everybody to do at the start is just take us back to the start for you or what you think was a start in terms of your journey with PCOS. So like when you got diagnosed and what that was like and what your symptoms were like prior and, and how that all happened. Certainly. So I think the journey would have started in about February of 2018, which is when I came off the pill after over eight years on it. And um, I was married and my husband and I wanted to start a family and I quickly realized that my periods were very regular, the longest cycle being 90 days and they varied between 50 and 60. And so obviously that's not normal. Um, and I gave it, a, I gave it a year. And then in January of the 2019, I had an ultrasound scan, which confirmed um, polycystic ovary ovarian syndrome. Um, and I, yeah, was obviously pretty gutted about that. Um, but uh, and my GP's first port of call was a sort of medicinal route. So she recommended that my husband and I go and see a fertility specialist. Um, which we did, and they didn't really look much at my lifestyle or anything. It was, let's get you on letrozole to get you ovulating. So I was prescribed three rounds of that drug, and I only proceeded with two of them. The first did make me ovulate, uh, but honestly, when you're working full-time, it's very stressful trying to get in for morning scans and then blood tests while you're away. It's a highly involved process being on a drug like that, and um, there's pressure to conceive if you have um, an enlarged follicle which develops into an egg, and so after the second round when it didn't work, I was just like, this isn't for me. I was... Um, quite stressed by it all and thankfully my cousin had recommended your uh, website and podcast so I listened to you um, while my husband and I took some time off work to go traveling and then after listening to your podcast I decided to do the protocol in September of last year 2019. Mm. Yeah and that's a really interesting thing to bring up about the time commitment and stress of facility treatment right because no one really talks to you about that it's just kind of like okay mm. here take this drug but for, in order for it to be kind of most effective and also the safest is that that cycle really needs to be monitored so to see okay so because you can have an unmonitored letrozole cycle where they just basically give you the drug and then go away and see how you go but then you don't know okay am i developing two follicles or three follicles or four follicles and that's when you get twins triplets quads which mm -hmm. Sounds cute. Very high. Mm. Mm. Like not only for the, you know, having two screen babies, but for your health, for their health, for everything. So in order to actually have that this in the safest route, you need to be, as you said, going in for like blood tests. Cause how often did you need to go in for those? Uh, oh, it's quite regularly. It was obviously to monitor the estrogen rise and then the progesterone rise to confirm ovulation. And I did it in Auckland, but I was also away in Wellington for my sister's wedding. I had to go in for an appointment and then we'd booked a holiday in Queenstown. So I had to go in for another one. Um, and so it can, it, it was, it was about, yeah, twice per cycle, I think, the blood tests, and then you also had to go in for the scans. So, yes, it is involved, and yes, there is a risk 
risk of multiples, which is why it's so involved. And because it, because of all the steps you need to take, it's expensive. It's costly. Yeah. It's not. It's not just the drug. It's all of all of the um, medical professionals' time and your time. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And this thing is your time as well, right? And when you you're a lawyer, right? Like that. Mm. Is- Yes, I uh, yes, I I'm a reformed lawyer, so yeah, I was teaching, a teaching now, right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, I'm training to be a, t- a primary school teacher, which I'm really enjoying. But yes, I was a senior solicitor in one of New Zealand's leading law firms for seven years, and um, over those two years of of my PCOS journey towards the end, I was in, very involved with um, high court trials and arbitrations, and it was all full on so it was very difficult to um take calls from um fertility associates when you're meant to be meeting with a witness or Mm. to find time to go in for a scan before work starts um and as we'll discuss in terms of my symptoms later on um sleep was just not a a priority for me at that time and for most lawyers right like yeah that is the case and and this is I think this is why it's so good to speak to so many different women because you get different perspectives and someone else listening to this says you know I I know so many lawyers you know I I went to um university with so many lawyers and so 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 many of my friends live like this so I understand what their life is like and that it is so incredibly demanding you know like as in many of professional services roles um and so taking that into consideration and going okay well not only that's affecting your fertility in terms of your like fertility journey and getting that treatment, but what's it doing to your body? You know, as you said, and that lack of sleep, the really high stress, and how is then that compounding and affecting your fertility, you know, over the long term? So, and that's one thing that you found out, you know, so I didn't actually introduce this, but (laughs) (laughs) so we know each other because you came through the PCOS protocol, right? And so going through that, you realized how much stress was playing an impact on your and yes, I did. Yes, and that is one of the, the uh, reasons I recommend people do this PCOS protocol and why, why I'm so grateful to you because it makes you realise things that you didn't otherwise consider, stress being a major one of them. So by doing the protocol um, and receiving your daily emails and working out my type and my symptoms, I quickly realized that I was turning up to work every day with a large double shot flat white and a takeaway granola and I was firing myself up on caffeine and sugar and then I would have an elevated heart rate, not just from food but from being in an environment where a senior associate or partner or a junior lawyer could come up to me at any minute and demand my time or the phone could go or I'd get a surprise email and uh, through your protocol and your podcast, I was 100% fight or flight. I was freaking out just kind of constantly, but that was my normal. Mm. And um, I would then sort of slump, and so I might have a chocolate. I didn't really relate to all the hangry attacks because I should also say for listeners, I have lean PCOS, so um, I don't have – I didn't think I had a diet or exercise issue, um, and my my – my main symptom was the irregular periods. I didn't have hirsutism or I had some breakouts, but no major skin issues. So it was mainly the fertility and the ovulation. And again, basing, like based on what I learned about stress, it was my body, of course, wasn't ready to conceive a baby. It was prioritizing keeping itself alive, myself mm-hmm. alive and um, able to do my job. Um, and, so again, when I realized 
that that was probably the main cause of my PCOS. I needed to I needed to put that well-being first and to make some changes. And so mm. some of those changes were, which again I learned from you, were breathing, <laughs> uh, prioritizing sleep and prioritizing safe exercise for my type. So rather than running home like 9K after a long day at work, um, I would instead, um, and my boss was really great about this, I didn't mention to her um, PCOS, I just said, I need to make some um, changes just for my stress levels and my well-being. I'm going to mark in my diary, I'm going to go to yoga at 4.30 on a Tuesday, 11 on a Wednesday, 1 on a Friday. And she was great about that. She was like, of course, like we know you're a loyal employee, you'll get the job done, you do that. And having that and committing to it was really important and going to yoga and just being and just breathing and just calming down was just excellent for that stress element of my PCOS and then the diet I can also discuss (laughs) yeah but I think that that's such an important thing because so many of us just go "Eh, stress you know like how can it be that big a deal and it I I know that it's been getting more attention recently which is good and be more um, accepted but in many professions it's still not like luckily you sound like you have a fantastic boss but there I know Mm. who who wouldn't you know who wouldn't Mm support um when actually you go hey we're all grown-ups you know especially when working in like a professional job like really we should be trusted to just get our job done whenever and I I hope that if there's one good thing that's come out of COVID it's the is that recognition that actually people can without their boss watching over them get their job done and do what they need to do but if um you know if you are in that environment that isn't recognizing that stress can play a major role in your health. And it's something, something majorly wrong there, right? Like it's, it is. And I, I really do hope, I agree with you. I hope COVID has made the employee employer relationship more um, amenable to stress relief and prioritizing mental health. Cause mm. you're right. I, I was fortunate to have um, a senior partner who, who appreciated work-life balance um, and, even though I have changed careers, I don't think it's necessary for women in high-pressure mm. um, jobs and professions to um, make a career change. That was a separate decision I made alongside the protocol. Um, but I, and the reason I say that's important is because I don't want listeners to think, oh, I have to quit my stressful yeah. job to be less stressed because I actually did go, went from a 90-day period to 39-day cycle, like within the first month. It was quite remarkable. Um, mm. and, I'm, and, and that was while still having a full-on arbitration and um, other hearing commitments, I was uh, having a period every 39 days, which sounds long by normal, <laughs> inverted commas there, women's standards. But it was, a, it was outstanding to me because I could then know I was ovulating September, um, October, November, December, and uh, I conceived in December in that fourth month, um, which is amazing. And so I'm, yeah, I'm so grateful. And I think that you can implement change, even if you're in a stressful job, mm-hmm. um, and it makes remarkable difference absolutely and I think that's the thing is it's not even doesn't even necessarily be need to be really massive changes as you said it can just be as small as breathing right like having because mm. breathing is one of the most important things to signal to your body that you're okay right deep breathing is can literally put your mm-hmm. body into what you said before that 
fright and flight. Mm-hmm. You're in fright and flight. You're breathing shallowly and rapidly. And that's because that's what you'd be doing if you were running away from a tiger, right? That is how mm-hmm. you're breathing. If you then stop and slow down your breath and take deep breaths in, your body signals your body that that threat is over because you cannot run as fast as you can and also deep breathe. It is impossible. Mm-hmm. Try it. <laughs> Physically impossible, okay? So it is a really good signal to your body that that threat is over. And so just having those times in your day that you build in to just go, right, stop and breathe. And it can be the times like I tell women in the protocol, I'm sure you heard this, Lena, just trying to build it into your day, something that you do all the time, whether that is when you go to the bathroom, right? It's a signal to you say, right, okay, as soon as I start working to the bathroom, I start my deep breathing. And then I get back to my desk. Okay, we can resume our frantic breathing or whatever, mm-hmm. but at least I have those periods that I know I can't. I know that I go to the bathroom maybe five or six times a day if I'm drinking water. Um, if, if you're not, possibly also a problem there that you maybe not be drinking enough. But it's something else. Maybe for you, it's that when you go and get a cup of tea. Maybe it's mm. something else. Maybe it's when you have a reminder in your calendar that it pops up. And so, yeah. but building it into your daily schedule, like you did with your yoga or you know other kind of times of your day that you then go right okay this is the time when i have to force because if you just let it happen it won't happen right it won't you won't remind yourself to it kind of like your yoga if you just <sighs> okay i'll go to yoga three times a week it wouldn't happen unless you really carved out that time would it 100 percent. it needs to be part of your routine and i think it's really important to also stress how these all sound like little things breathing mm. hello we all do it um but it if you do prioritize these things and they all make a massive difference. So I mentioned earlier my sugary breakfasts, And so learning from the protocol to uh, maybe not caffeinate myself so much and just have a decaf black coffee and high protein breakfast, delicious omelet. Um, that's still part of my routine. It's, you know, it's breakfast. It's still um, something I can look forward to because mm-hmm. I like the taste of coffee and, um, and it, sounds so small but it does make a huge difference so I'd really look forward to my breakfast I might have smoked salmon as well um and then I would yeah I could go for a cup of tea but when it would previously be caffeinated tea with milk it was now a peppermint tea or something and yeah I just yeah then I do the yoga and then I, I found myself actually concentrating more at work and being more productive and looking forward to my exercises might be gentle. I still might jog if I felt like it. And then again, coming home and just not sitting on the couch and not moving and wishing for what I call the bed fairy, who's someone who waves the wand and you magically get ready for bed. Um, (laughs) Then it's like 11 o'clock. How amazing would that be? Yeah, it would be awesome. (laughs) But unfortunately bed fairy doesn't exist. So I did force myself to like at 10 just go to bed just go to bed and lie there and then you will fall asleep and my sleep yeah drastically improved without caffeine and alcohol that was the other tough thing Mm. at the protocol I was a bit I was like oh you know I'll do it for Claire because you were like a good motivator um but oh yeah alcohol wreaks havoc with sleep and um it's a key part of the lawyer's diet is alcohol Mm. for um, relaxing and celebrating wins or commiserating losses so um something else I learned what was hard is because people did guess or think that I was probably trying to conceive so it was annoying having that you know if I stopped drinking that it was because I was pregnant when it was the opposite I was trying Mm. but 
um, but what I loved about your protocol was no one can argue with, I don't feel like it. You can say that. You can, no one needs to know why. You can yep. just say, I don't feel like it, got something else on, I've got to go. You don't need to go to those drinks. It's hard. Trust me, it's hard. I'm really, I'm used to it. And um, I'm now, yeah, I'm now uh, in my eighth month of pregnancy and going without a glass of bubbles has been difficult, but um, it's worth it. It's worth it. (laughs) And I think that's a really, a really good point to say is that whenever you're making any change to your lifestyle, you never have to justify why you're doing that to anybody. So whether it's changing the way that you're eating, as you said, not drinking, um, don't want to go and do that race or you don't want to go to the gym or whatever it is, that is the that is the answer that I always give is just, I just don't feel like it. Because if you start getting into justification like, oh, but I realize alcohol really affects my sleep, which it does for most people. You know, it really, it may not affect you being able to get to sleep. Maybe you can get mm. to sleep but you generally won't have as much REM sleep. sleep. Though, and that is, the, that is the mental repair side, right? That's 100%. Repair our brain cells and stuff like that. So if you're having that, and it can be as little as one drink. Like I noticed that I use a wearable called an Aura Ring. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not an influencer for them or anything like <laughs> that. I just use it. Um, and it's one of the most sensitive for tracking sleep and sleep cycles. So your deep sleep and your REM sleep. And, and I've noticed with my own data, that it's lit, lit, as little as one glass of wine and my REM sleep is affected. And mm. so it's amazing, as you said, yes, I understand that it, how it can be a part of the lawyer's diet, but if we actually just possibly drink less often, I'm definitely not um, advocating binge drinking, mm. which is another mm. classic, but mm. just that instead of having that kind of that every night when I get home from work to help me kind of go to sleep, but instead going, okay, it's a Saturday night thing you know, a couple of glasses of wine instead of that every night thing can be so helpful for feeling fresher in the morning. You know, even if it's not, you don't feel hungover, it's just that what you don't realize is that you may have sat for eight hours, which is again, probably not in the lawyer's diet, Mm. eight hours, but it is just that, you know, you have that ability or have that time during sleep for your, for your brain to repair and replace. Totally. Dreams, dreams are so important and we might forget them, but that REM sleep allows us to process. And that's why I felt like I was more productive in those um, three, four months at work while on the protocol, because I was processing everything and remembering everything the next Mm. day rather than coming home having a glass of wine which I was like yeah I was having a glass of wine with every meal that was just part of my this kind of my culture family growing up um just one but it does it it influences it sort of conks you out and so you've got the physical sleep but not the mental sleep and um so yeah prioritizing REM sleep as you say and it, it, it made a, a huge difference. And what I also loved about the protocol is that it's also 80-20. So you're not some dictator saying cut everything. It's like I could definitely still have on a Saturday night with friends mm. a couple of drinks, but it just wasn't, wasn't the everyday thing. And prioritizing, I, you know, I didn't have to do everything because I was initially, you know, skeptical about the protocol because I didn't, as I said, with lean PCOS, didn't think I needed a diet plan or an exercise plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought I was, might be signing up for. Um, but to learn, yeah, about the stress management, um, and about insulin resistance, even in lean PCOS women, uh, that's also a major thing. You can still, I was still having those crashes, even mm-hmm. if it didn't like reflect maybe in outwardly, inwardly, it was, mm-hmm. and it was affecting my hormones. So, 
I learned yeah. a lot in that regard too. And that's the thing, like about 75% of women with lean PCOS still have insulin issues. So that's when mm. you're producing too much insulin. And that might, one of the things that might be causing is blood sugar crashes. So it might be for you. So what were the crashes for you? Was it more kind of hangriness? Uh, yeah, hangry, not, not extreme, but I noticed I would always feel safer with chocolate in the desk mm-hmm. um, if I needed it. And um, I still, I, I, yeah, I ate a lot of fruit and just, just, I, yeah, hangriness would be, I mean, I, I, I would feel uneasy if I didn't know where, where my next meal was coming from. Yeah, and after that granola in the morning, how mm. how quickly would you be hungry after that? Ooh, uh, like morning tea, like 10, yeah. so, um, and I'd be craving like a date's gone, um, which sometimes I'd push through just because I was busy uh, to wait for a sandwich for lunch or um I'd have nuts if I was trying to be healthy. But again, nuts, you have to be careful because they're so tasty that you can have, you know, too many of them. So, um, yeah, it wasn't keeping me as full as the big protein breakfasts later did. I think that if your breakfast isn't keeping you – if you're hungry two hours after breakfast, there's something going on there. It's either that your insulin's not right or your breakfast's not right or something there. But it's like you shouldn't need to eat – like need to eat two hours after eating. Mm. You should, it should, you should be able to go more than that. Most of us with PCOS will be like, whoa, how do people go more than two hours? Like how do you not have, and then when you are on the other side, like you are, right, is that you go, oh my God, it is so liberating being able to just, you know, by lunchtime be like, oh yeah, I'm starting to feel hungry now. I could eat. Whereas normally I'd be like, I am ravenous. When is it like, like literally counting <laughs> down the minutes until like yeah. lunchtime? Yeah, I related so much to the podcast interview guests that you had um, that I listened to while traveling. I was like, these are my people uh, <laughs> when you talk to them about that. And you, you're absolutely right. You don't believe it. You're like, I can't ever be that person. I can't ever be that person on the other side who feels satiated, who feels calm. Um, these people are talking nonsense. But um, once you do make those small steps, it all adds up. And I just, uh, yeah, I really, I really think that uh, signing up to this protocol, it gives you motivation and accountability in a positive way. Um, I think I mentioned in my email to you, it was like having a passionate well-informed and highly qualified friend just in my inbox, just lightly reminding me of and educating me on this condition that so many women have, which I felt so ashamed by and saddened by. And I felt guilty about being on the pill. And I felt like my body should just work. It seems to work for every other woman. But as much as the modern media would have us believe that female fertility is a given, our natural state, be serious woman, our natural state is what it is. Mm. And we need to um, make active choices to, to uh, re- recreate the balance that we deserve um, and that we are capable of. I liked that you made, I liked that you relieved some of that guilt when you talked about you know, PCOS is present in women of all ethnicities and probably, you know, dates back to cave women and man days. And we would have been the survivors back then, right? We would have been the survivors. We would have not had babies and we would have been able to run and... Um, well, we would have had babies, but <laughs> probably less, right? Like yes, yeah. Fewer, we would have had six. And so, therefore, we would have been able to run faster. Yeah. And we would have survived any kind of apocalypse. Like, 
Like yeah. if, there is, if the world does come to an end, like yeah. we are going to be the ones that survive, right? Like, yeah. We are the ones that store energy very well. We work off a limited amount of energy and we're, yeah, we are just very, very well suited to any kind of famine or high stress kind of situation, right? Because we switch off ovulation very quickly, but we, in your case, we bring it back very quickly as yeah. well. The environment comes right again. Um, and that is our, that is our PCOS superpower, right? Like, yes. I love that. And I loved, I loved hearing that because I just feel, and I'm sure women out there can relate to me when you're at your GP, you feel like unnatural and a failure. And so to, to rebrand PCOS as a superpower and just to understand it in context that you're not a freak. So mm. many people have this and it's, it's, it's a survival mechanism, but it's not ideal because it results in these hormonal um, symptoms outwardly like skin or hair, but also internally um, like ovulation, which for me was the goal. So the ultimate goal was to ovulate regularly and then conceive and become a mum. But the initial goals were just to, just to feel calmer. Yeah. As, mm. as we've discussed to feel like I was in control and to reboot because the pill had suppressed the natural hormones in my body, I needed to reboot the brain-body connection because my brain just wasn't syncing with, yeah, with my reproductive cycle. Okay. So um, that it, it, small steps, breathing, diet, sleep, supplements, they, they worked. They work. They work. And often it's not just one, right? Because some people yeah. say, well, I've tried sleeping more or I've tried diet. But sometimes, A, you need to get to that root cause. So for you, like when I'm listening here, it's like don't follow what worked for Helena because it probably mm. won't work for you. So um, it needs to be identifying your root cause. So yours was insulin and adrenal. So again, we mm. had to address both. If we just addressed the one, probably wouldn't have got the same result. So we have to identify what the issue is and then put in the right steps in place. Um, and that's what makes a difference. And often it's it's a lot of those things in combination. I can't tell you how many women who I've worked with who have tried a very similar diet strategy previously and it hasn't worked for them. But actually what was really important was combining the diet and the sleep and modifying their exercise or and focusing on, you know, like and you know, the vitamins and minerals their body needed to work properly. And when it's in combination, then it can have the biggest impact. Whereas previously just effect, just changing one of those didn't work for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, and that's what your P-series protocol offers, which other, um, you know, other methods of trying to deal with PCOS or fertility don't necessarily offer because we've talked previously about the fact that, you know, my GP's first port of call was a fertility specialist in medicine and my mother, bless her heart, I love her to pieces, she's a GP and she was also sceptical about me doing some sort of holistic protocol. She was like, oh, darling, you don't need supplements, you get everything in your diet. I was like, not, no, it's not for me. <laughs> um, I'm, she didn't have PCOS. I think it runs in other, some of my other female cousins may or may not have it, but um, it's everyone, every woman's unique, as you say. Um, mothers can be different from daughters. Um, sisters can be different. It, it does, it's your unique context and what something like the protocol offers versus compared to the drug route is, is that holistic, yeah, as you say, 
lots of different elements together. And while women probably feel desperate and frustrated or angry that they have to invest in money in their health, um, it's, it is so worth it to get that balance right. And we deserve to feel good and we deserve to feel healthy and we deserve to feel in balance. And I just, I think it's a worthwhile investment. Mm. And because that's something that you really had to get get my head around. Yeah, uh, I did. Just paying for something, like paying for something that should come naturally. I just really had to, to get my head around that. I don't know why. And I think maybe, as you say, being in, you know, I'd learned to trust science and trust medicine. So if my GP saying, okay, go do letrozole or did that, when that w- didn't work, I was like, oh, well, well, if that doesn't work, why would a, why would a um, diet or, you know, some, something like mm-hmm. that work? Because it's just sort of the way that modern society made me it made me skeptical for some reason um which i we've been we have been conditioned that your doctor is the only kind of source of truth right is and that you know what your doctor says is true and 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 also almost the only source of truth in and from a legal perspective you'll understand Mm -hmm. this and, and a lot of it comes back to the laws that have been put in place around alternative and natural health so Mm -hmm. In New Zealand, for example, we have something called the Medicines Act, which Mm. means that you cannot claim any kind of benefit from um, any both service that you provide um, or any kind of supplement. And so for me, for example, I can't even say that I help with weight loss, right? Like that is a claim that we can't actually say that we we have because it's a claim it's against the the medicines act and from a legal perspective i have to on all of my um you know um protocol stuff you have noticed in all of our pdfs and things there's Mm. a a disclaimer there's a disclaimer at the end of this podcast and that you should check with your doctor before doing anything okay yes that is because legally I have to say that whether i agree Mm. with that or not i have to state that right and so Mm. The effect that it has, though, on women is going, well, actually, my doctor, if my doctor says no, or your mum who's a doctor says, mm-hmm. surely, how can, you know, no, that can't work, is you then say, well, they should know best because I'm told that they should know best. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a really hard thing. Like, we need to comply with the law, but also maybe the law is wrong. You know? It's, yeah. It's right. Yeah. It's, a, it's an institutional bias that turns into an internal bias. and. Yeah. We're all learning about challenging our our internal um, prejudices at the moment, and mm. I think it's um, very important to take stock of just to yes engage critical thinking, but mm. realize that yeah, small steps together can lead to change, and it doesn't always have to be the fix it drug. It could it's relying on our bodies, which you know humans have been around. 100,000 years plus, you, there, mm. there is a lot of internal uh, systems, yeah, and wisdom that, that people are trying to tap into. And I can only speak to my experience, but it was remarkable making those small shifts, both in physical and, and mindset, and to go to from really long periods to regular periods to conception within four months and a healthy pregnancy. Um, it's just been amazing. So I am very grateful to you. And I'm grateful for backing myself. And mm. um, I'm grateful to my husband as well for backing 
me and making this decision because yeah I did feel like it could be another failure um so and uh, again what we talked about both systems with you and also I have had friends conceive on Letrozole so it's great if they can but both options are a leap of faith and both options require you to place your hope and trust in an expert because you are you are an expert as well so it's like you you just you have to um have faith to some extent but also put the plans into action yeah absolutely and that yeah and that is a huge thing right because you could sign up to the protocol and not actually do no exactly yeah (laughs) just signing up is not going to do that but actually doing what you're doing and going right i'm going to implement these changes that i'm paying for and and i and seeing the evidence for right and that's what i'm really hot on in the protocol as you know is going right Mm. here is the evidence backing behind this because i i kind of because what we just talked about there in terms of the um, the legalities and also the because I am you know I'm a registered nutritionist I have to practice evidence-based nutrition and kind of functional nutrition which is what we do as you know not just mm. food but it's kind mm. of holistic but is that it still has to be evidence-based and so mm. it's like showing you guys okay there, there is a reason here and this is also what your blood tests are showing and this is what your symptoms mean and this is everything so you can go okay I understand why and now I understand why I need to make these small changes um, but it doesn't need to be a massive, complete overhaul of your lifestyle. Like, you know, as you said, like just small tweaks, like mm-hmm. changing your your flat white to a decaf. Yeah. Flat yes, exactly. You don't notice the taste. Trust me, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, yeah. There, there can be just small things like that that do, like as you have said time and time mm. again, just make such a huge difference. But it doesn't have to be like completely cutting every single thing out of your diet. It doesn't have to be you have to go gluten-free and dairy-free mm. and mm. changing all this. And that's what I'm really hot on is going, how can we make this sustainable for you? How can we have the minimum impact on your life with having the maximum results really is what? Totally, and that's what really appealed to me, again, with the 80-20 thing, but, yeah, not biting off more than you can chew. So I thought giving up dairy would be impossible for me. I'm a huge fan of cheese, yogurt, milk. That was my staple. So to do that and to give up gluten, no way. Like, I just couldn't. So um, by focusing on removing dairy and using alternative milks with my, like, coffee or cereal or whatever, even though I was eating more protein, um, I still had bread and I still had pasta, and but I was just sensible about it and I was more aware, having been through the protocol, what the, those foods would do to my insulin. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was just being more aware. And, again, with fruit. So I'd cut sugar. I didn't have, yeah, sugary treats like date scones or mm-hmm. um, chocolate, but I kept fruit in just because that just felt right for me. So everyone's, yeah. it's idiosyncratic and um, that's what's really cool is you can tailor the protocols to, to you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the fact that most of the time you can get away with a lot more than what you think, you know, like it's, it's, yeah. and so, you know, same thing about dairy. It just doesn't necessarily mean you have to cut all dairy. It's just going for the higher fat sources, right. That are going to have less impact on your insulin. So there is, there are, there is, is, is kind of flexibility in, in most things that you do. It's just understanding like, of of course, not if you're celiac or something like that, Mm. there is. And there is no flexibility, but for most people, there is. It's a. It's kind of like insulin. It's a spectrum, and it's f- finding where you kind of fit on that spectrum to have the biggest impacts for your body, but also make sure that it's kind of achievable and sustainable. Um, but going back, really interesting. Going back to what you said before about um, for. Oopsie, sorry, I just had to quickly. Um, 
that was just a message. I'm just going to quickly unmute my phone there. Okay, go manage. Just because it shows up, like I can hear that on the podcast. I'm like, oh, phone obviously went off. <laughs> Going back. But we will edit that out, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so going back to what you were saying before about, you know, there are many women who letrozole has worked for mm. them. I think that it can be a fantastic drug. So for those of you that don't know, there's basically two drugs that can, that are mostly used to help women with PCOS ovulate. One is called Clomid or Clomiphene and one is called Letrozole. Letrozole is the most effective in PCOS. That is evidence-based. Um, but one thing I think as well is that that can be super helpful, but you also want someone to kind of be checking the other stuff like, is your insulin functioning properly? Because as you said before, you have had a really healthy pregnancy now. Had you gone in with quite, got pregnant on letrozole, didn't realize that your insulin was quite high, then you're likely at risk of pregnancy complications like gestational diabetes. 100% clear. You're absolutely right. And um, I sat the gestational diabetes test um, a couple of weeks ago now. It's awful and so I feel sorry for people who have to sit that glucose tolerance test because you have to drink like solidified lemonade mm. and sit in the lab for two hours just to test your um your insulin levels and uh, yes you're absolutely right so while it is fantastic that there is a med medical fix for ovulation uh when you have underlying polycystic ovarian syndrome, you just need to be careful because there's a reason why your hormones are unbalanced. And mm. the, while the medicine can make you ovulate, uh, everything else is still there. The, yeah, the blood sugar issues, the stress issues, the lack of sleep issues. Um, so, and uh, yeah, I just think heading into pregnancy when you have another whole shift of hormones, um, I felt much more confident going in having balanced those hormones. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think the um, the important thing is, regardless of whether you're doing that, you know, your fertility specialist isn't going to be the one to sit down and check, okay, is what's the root cause here, right? They have their process, which is, okay, not ovulating, great, this is the way that we do things, which is fantastic, because they can prescribe that, I can't prescribe that, they can deal with that. What they will never do is sit down and go, why are you not ovulating? Because the outcome for them is still the same, okay? The outcome of them is still, this is what we're going to put you on. So it's, it's not really recognized in the medical world about, okay, let's actually fix that root cause. So no one's going to sit down and be like, okay, maybe it's just that you, you know, maybe they are ovulating, but you're just mistiming sex and you're not actually having sex when you're fertile. And mm. big issue, like they've found in research. <laughs> about 50% of women going, couples going through IVF, when they actually teach them how to time and figure out when they're ovulating and time sex accordingly, they get pregnant. Okay, so we know that this is a really big thing, but no one's going to sit down and work that out for you. So as well as going through that fertility route, fertility specialist, you kind of also want to work with someone who understands and can figure out that kind of root cause aspect for you because you can't expect that that's what you're going to get through the conventional kind of medical system because it's just not what they're trained in and what they do. Yes, and as, as um, debilitating as it may feel, you have to take control of your own health too. And that's where um, programs like yours are great because you can have an element of control. We spoke earlier, you can't just sign up and do nothing, but you can mm -hmm. sign up and then have the information to do with it what you think is best. So, I mean, you provide 
um, information on tests requests, you provide information on supplements, you provide information. So we need to, as women with PCOS, you have to take a step for your own health. And I think as Kiwis, we are tall poppy syndrome, but also just don't always demand what we need mm. sometimes I've really had to learn that and um you know as I said at the work sort of not demanding but just saying these are the times I'm going out for yoga um this is what I'm doing no I'm not going to drinks tonight just we deserve to prioritize our own well-being and we don't shouldn't feel guilty or like we're being bitchy or whatever about yeah. that totally but as you said as well it's that realize you know the being like, oh my gosh, I have to pay for another kind of thing. Yeah. So how that I know that was a big thing for you. How did you get through that? How I got through it was I ultimately decided I I decided to follow my own advice, which I just um said then. If you're gonna take a step of control, you need um you need you need expertise too, right? And so I'd already I'd already paid for the letrozole cycle, which I then didn't even do the third one of because I found it so unenjoyable. And I thought, I'm going to invest in my health. I'm going to invest in my well-being and I'm going to pay this expert, Claire Goodwin, to help me and I'm going to make the best of it no matter what. So yes, I had high expectations. I expected, um, you know, expert advice and accountability through the protocol. And that's what I got. But even if I, you know, I, my expectations were met, but I just made the choice to, to back it and to, and I spoke about it with my husband beforehand. I was like, look, we want to get pregnant. I haven't got pregnant um, by myself or through the medical. I think this is, this is worth it. And he agreed. And he, he was really impressed more so the possibly possibly more than me because I was the one implementing the changes but yeah to have had me com being really upset and sad about the three-month cycles when you don't know what's going on to actually ovulating regularly he's just like well that was worth it why didn't we do that the first time round? like that was yeah it was it was 100% worth it so um I think I just got past it's still you're, you're still paying an expert um, and being a professional as well, I think, um, and also I really enjoyed, I like backing other professional women. I think it's fantastic service that you're doing. And I think we need to validate, um, women working in profession, the professional space or any space, just, <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, you pay for what you get. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the, that's the, the thing to get around though, is that often the wellness, I think the wellness and health space and is seen as quite woo woo and, that you should be able to figure it out on your own. Like yeah. So much information online and you're like, why would I pay someone when I can probably just get this information online? Yep. Whereas like from a legal perspective, you're like, well, you actually can't, you know, well, you, you can actually represent yourself in court in, in situations, but you can't draft your own legal documents mm -hmm. or do that. So you, you know, you, you have to, whether you think that you can work it out yourself or not, you aren't allowed to do that. Yeah. So it's, Yes. in the health space it's quite different because there is so and it's it, it come, really comes down to a poor part of our profession where it is quite unregulated right like yeah and and I think this is where it comes in and going right well who do you actually trust you know who is it that you put your trust in because you can't just in anyone calling themselves in the health and wellness space because mm. they don't necessarily have that mm. expertise that you need um and I think that's a really big part of it too. Oh, totally. Yes, you are right. Um, but 
you have more credentials than woo-woo and you have testimonials. And I was fortunate to have a cousin recommend um, your podcast to me. And so I had more evidence-based and that's your um, modus operandi. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, your protocol is, is evidence-based and, and you yourself are an expert that I would trust. So yes, you're right. I think again, it comes to the institutional bias around we trust doctors more than mm. nutritionists maybe. I don't, mm. I, it's, and so that's unfortunate um, because while you, what you said as well earlier about, oh, I could have found all those little bits myself. Honestly, it takes the, the stress out of it. It takes, once you've paid for this protocol and got your head over the, like, I'm investing in my health and you get the product every day in your inbox, a reminder, a, a video, something to just, it, it helps. It really helps because otherwise you can keep going down the avenue of like, my body doesn't work and it's all my fault and it's never going to work. And I might as well just have this glass of wine and I might as well just have this chocolate bar because I feel so shitty and sad that I'm not pregnant yet. And, but when you have a daily accountability and you've got, um, there is a Facebook group too. And so you can like make friends if you want to, who keep you accountable. But I mainly found the emails just like, well, let's just do this. Let's just commit to it. Like give it a good go Mm. and, and back it. Um, and that, that I found really helpful. It got me out of the slump, which I had earlier in the year, which was, oh, this is just never going to work. And it works for every other woman. So why do I have to change anything to make it work mm-hmm. for me? Um, and I'm already do. healthy, right? I'm already eating food. Yeah. yeah. McDonald's for breakfast and like, you know, sitting on the couch. It's just most women that I work with are already leading a healthy lifestyle. Right? Yeah. It's, just that it's not quite right for them. And it's I think not that's quite hard to mold. That's the hard thing as well is going, so why can like my colleague who I sit beside, like she, you know, she's pregnant. She, we both live the same lifestyle, very similar. And why can that work for her? But yeah, it doesn't work for me. And realizing that that's super individual. And while, you know, breathing more and sleeping more isn't revolutionary. It isn't science. (laughs) I think the main thing is understanding when you, when you get to that root cause, so when you figure out what that is for you based on either symptoms or lab tests, and that's everything I do, whether I'm working with someone one-on-one or whether it's through the protocol, that's the first thing we do. So the first week in the protocol, that's all it is, is trying to figure out what is going on for you. What is that? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then we can actually focus on the most important changes. Because if you're, if it's not insulin or stress hormones or whatever, maybe it's thyroid, then it's a completely different set of things to change. And otherwise you can get caught up in, you know, reading everything online about, as I said, about PCOS and people are like, you have to go gluten-free and you have to go dairy-free, you have to do all this stuff. And it's like, but why? If you don't know why you're doing that, then it can be also really hard to stick with. And if you don't notice a change as soon as you do like you did, then maybe you then go, well, this isn't working and I'm not going to continue on with yeah. it. But you know, okay, yeah, my blood test is showing my insulin is not functioning properly and my stress mm. hormones aren't functioning properly and we can see that or we can see it through symptoms. Then it's like, okay, yeah, I get that this is a problem and I get now why this is the fix and why these are the five key things I have to focus on and that's it. Nothing else, just these five. Then I can be a lot more kind of, concerted with my efforts on the things that are going to have the biggest difference mm-hmm. doing a protocol like yours it stops you stabbing in the dark and hoping for the best and it gives you something to focus on and remove all the other noise and um, when you're in a profession 
a demanding job that mm. is a godsend because you just need to focus on the key things for you and they will have a difference they will yeah and I think that's the thing is that we don't have time to yeah <laughs> like to be like f- like trying to find every single thing that could possibly and then you know try that yeah. and see if it works and then maybe not getting them simultaneously um, and I think that's really what, whether you're working with a, whatever profession you're working with, whether that's in legal or, you know, accounting or whatever, you can find a lot of information yourself online and try and figure stuff out, but actually you, you're likely going to get it wrong. And so what you're paying for is someone to kind of cut the chase early, tell you what you need to do, do it, get it over and done with, right? Rather than spending 10 years of your life like I did prior to you know, do, doing all my work is, is trying different things and it not working. It's like, okay, do you want to do that? Great. Go for gold. I'm not the person for you. If you want to cut to the chase, that's what we're here for. 100%. <laughs> so for you, um, is there anything else that you think, actually, if I was back in my position, you know, if I was in this space, you know, going back to where you were back in beginning of 2018? Yeah. Oh, well, yes. I mean, try to live life without regrets. 2018, it meant that um, in this post-COVID world where travel looks more and more impossible, um, I was fortunate to um, take a break from work and go traveling, which I was aware of my PCOS by then, but it's very hard to implement changes when you're jet lagged Mm -hmm. and with foreign foods and um, different cultures. So I guess um, looking back, I think it has all worked out really miraculously and to be able to conceive and look forward to 2020. I mean, there's very few things that are going right this year, but we're really excited to welcome our baby in early September. Uh, so looking back, I would just absolutely um, back myself and anyone who's thinking about doing this protocol to do it. It is worth the financial investment. It is worth the time. It's also not a huge time commitment. Your videos are quite short, and it's it gives you everything you need. Um, but it's getting over that initial uh skepticism or um, um, uneasiness about about paying for something which you think should come naturally I would just say to myself do it uh, you won't regret it you will have someone to keep you accountable you will have someone to keep you motivated you will have someone to tell you what to focus on and you'll have someone to tell you that it's okay and you're not a freak and um, PCOS is reversible and something we can live with i'll have to manage it forever but it is um something that doesn't have to define who we are Mm -hmm. and uh everyone listening just you deserve to feel that that joy and not that shame or frustration or sadness so i um i really hope everyone else on their pcos journey finds finds the solution that they need because i was really lucky to have found it um, with your help so thank you my pleasure thank you for your all your kind words um, and your advice to women I think that's so such a crucial thing is that you don't have to suffer through this and just mm-hmm. follow that one path of like oh, this is just something that I have to deal with it's like uh, probably not you know there's probably a lot of those symptoms that can be improved and, and things that we can do and just optimizing your health so that you know that you can you know have some relief from a lot of that stuff so thank you so much for your kind words and for sharing your yeah. time with other women because I know it's and your story because it's 
you know, these stories are so personal and I'm so grateful to all of you women that come on and share this with me because I think that while someone won't resonate with my story, they may resonate with yours or, you know, they may resonate with Karina's who I had on last week or Stephanie mm. and that breadth and variety of women talking about this is, it's only going to help other women say, okay, there is a solution. There is a, well, not a solution in terms of there's no miraculous cure where saying yeah. there is a, there is a potential thing you can do next and way through. Definitely. And yes, and that you're not alone, that there yeah. are many, many women like you. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. Thank you, so thank you for having me, Claire. Thank okay. you. So that's it from us this week. I just loved sharing that good news story with you. I didn't want to give away at the start what happened. Um, but yeah, brilliant news for Helena and just such a great story. And I think as she said in there, just remember that you know, often people will say about, you know, stress being a huge component and it is, and you might think, oh my God, I've got this stressful job that I can't really do anything about. And I think what the other thing about Helena talking about her fertility treatment was the other thing she wanted to talk, make you aware was that she wasn't back studying while she did this. She was still working her corporate job and, um, but she made a priority to make that work for her. So as she said, she said to her boss, hey, look, I need this time off to go and do yoga to help to really calm those stress hormones down, um, which is really important. You need to, like I say to you guys all the time, you need to um, advocate for your own health in your doctor's office. You also need to advocate for your own health in your employer's office as well, especially if you are working really long hours, really high stress job, then it's only in the in your employer's best interest as well to help you do that because it's going to mean you're getting sickly soft and it's going to mean you, um, you're happier, more engaged and that you work better and you're more productive. So that is, I um, hope that that gave you a few different ideas about how not only just Helena's um, story about deciding that the fertility drugs weren't for her and that's not the way that she wanted to go and that's a totally viable option for you as well but that she also really kind of helped to manage her stress and that that was a really big component for her in terms of getting back ovulating which is what I see in so many women especially those in corporate professional roles and especially if you identify yourself as sort of an A-type personality, right? It doesn't even need to be a perfectionist, that that as well. That's, you know, I really, really find that stress hormones are very high in people that associate themselves as a, or identify themselves as a perfectionist or an A-type personality. Okay, if that's you, then I'm pretty sure that stress hormones are going to be a big factor for you. And like Helena, you might need to look at, take an audit of your life and say, right, what can I control and what can't I control? I probably can't control the type of job I'm in. Um, but I can control how stressed I am doing that job. So whether that's taking breaks, just do some deep breathing or going and doing some yoga or some other kind of form of meditation mindfulness to bring those stress hormones down. Um, you can control the amount of high intensity stress hormone inducing exercise you're doing alongside that, how much coffee you're drinking. There's so many parts that you low hanging fruit that you can kind of pick off. That's not the the big dominoes that are really causing all the you know stress. You can kind of pick off the little bits and see if that um, helps to improve that. And for Helena, that did. So I hope that gives you some um, motivation and just inspiration that you there is a lot of things in your life that you can change, even if you think you can't change those big things. So that's it from me this week. Remember, the book Getting Pregnant with PCOS is coming out next week. 
Um, so for those of you that have already pre-ordered, that'll be delivered to your Kindle automatically. And for those of you that haven't, get on now. The link is in the show notes below and order your copy so that you can get that on release date. Next week, I will be going on the release day, on the 18th, I'll be going through with another um, podcast for you, which is really in-depth look into all the science and evidence behind the different medical treatments for fertility. Um, This is a chapter that I go into in-depth in the book, so it'll give you a good insight into what that chapter goes into and what treatments are available, how effective they are, and... Um, some of the kind of pros and cons behind them, things you might want to look out for, and just information so that you can have a good, educated, informed discussion with your fertility specialist about what options might be best for you if you do decide that that's the route that you want to take. So that's it from me next week. Can't wait to see you next week. And remember, jump to those show notes for the link to pre-order your copy of the book now. Bye for now. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.